Syringa Networks is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Question of the morning. Why does BYU's success this season get under the skin of some folks? B.S. at BBGun42 says because their schedule is full of no-name teams that 90% of the teams in the country would be undefeated against as well. <laughs> and Jeff says, well, you just described a Pac-12 schedule. Ooh. Oh, nice. and it's on. <laughs> punch. Counterpunch. That's what's great about this robbery. It's intensified. It hasn't lessened. I can't speak for some of these other places where they don't play each other anymore. You know, Nebraska, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. A&M, Texas. That one I think, I think is still on. I think that I one's speak on. for this one. Yeah. And it's intensified. Uh, Eric says, we couldn't care less about their success. It's all the unwarranted playoff slash Heisman overhyping that gets under the skin, although we should be used to it by now. <laughs> Laughing, crying, tears emoji. And I don't buy it. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Huh? <laughs> I do think oh, that the playoff Heisman hype is uh, both unwarranted because they're the, Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman. Okay, and, but w- and the Power Heisman Five contention. is gonna, Heisman contention. Now that's interesting. Could he get? Could he snag an invitation? We yes. went through this earlier this morning. Yes. And depending on the year, they invite three to five guys. Uh, and I think it's pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, you can get to two to three quarterbacks who are going to be invited. But that still leaves a door open for one to three other guys. Yes, they probably there. won't have a ceremony this year like we knew it. Right. Uh, yeah. But but they could still, still do a virtual thing. And if you're in the Absolutely. box, like, uh, well, Ty Detmer was in a was a virtual when he won it because he was in Hawaii. He wasn't in New York. They were playing that night. Better place to be in December. <laughs> That's a win. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Mike says, I've been a Ute fan for 30 years and I never felt that way. I'm pretty sure that's the majority of us. What? That, that's an issue that he just doesn't care. And he doesn't think most Ute fans do care. It doesn't get under their skin. Are the people uh, who it gets under their skin the loudest, especially in the era, in the era of social media, can a small minority yeah, drive a conversation where most people are out there shrugging yes. like, mm, whatever. Well, especially in our world. And, and sports, by definition, is a small minority. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, a game that gets an enormous rate. Well, the Super Bowl is the biggest thing there is, and if you believe the ratings, half the country doesn't watch it. Now, the right. fact that half the country does watch it makes it enormous, right? It is enormous. The Oscars are a big deal, but 80 or 90% of the country doesn't watch, watch that. And I'm in that 80 or 90%. Yeah. Bunch of crap. Uh, but uh, this one, so... <laughs> Please vote. Just tweet it in. Do you like watching professional boxers knock out amateurs and then brag about it? (laughs) Okay, that's a unique take. Please vote. Breaking new ground with that. uh, Is that a metaphor or simile? I'm not good at that stuff. It's a uh, metaphor, metaphor. I think. Yes. Uh, But see, that's BYU is just a lightning rod, and that's just what's awesome about him, about the Cougars. The whole institution is just a lightning rod. It, it really is. And the Pac-12 won't let you in, but we got no problem making money off of you. And why won't they let them in? Because, you know, they're a lightning rod, right? And if they weren't, then clearly they would have invited athletically. If you want to go the research and the academic, whatever. But if you would go athletically 
and fan base, BYU's bigger than Utah. Okay, here's an interesting But they're a lightning rod. Jason says, this whole storyline is being built by the national media, not the fan base. We are along for the ride, and we will enjoy it for what it is. We also understand it's a weak schedule. It's also not the schedule we put together originally, so what can we do? We might as well enjoy it. I got to say, when you watch those ESPN broadcasts, Man, they are. They, they've grabbed that Y flag away from the cheerleader and they are running down the field with it. <laughs> they are. I, there is no BYU fan who can be upset with ESPN coverage. That's just not realistic. You are getting the best coverage possible. Now, you can argue. Especially if the guy's name is Andre Ware. You can argue that it's, uh, hey, it's a business partnership and they of got a long term contract. There's, no, there's no need to argue. It's a fact. But they They're have in not, bed together. They have not been waving the BYU flag this hard for other teams. Well, I don't know other that they're Cougar waving teams. the BYU flag. They're the, the, see, this is where you can't get into the scheduling. When you've got an Andre Ware who knows about quarterbacking, played it himself, won the Heisman, wasn't all that as a pro, but then you got Mel Kuyper putting uh, Zach Wilson in the top five. Zach, uh, Mel Kuyper doesn't care what the BYU's record is, doesn't care what their schedule is, doesn't care about how much hype they're getting. That's not his job. His job is legitimacy on potential pro prospects. That is his empire. Everything else is nonsense to him. Couldn't care less about it. And when he's putting Zach Wilson in the top five, which means maybe at the latest third round, and that's going conservative, it could be much earlier than that, that's all forms of legitimacy. It has nothing to do with Texas State. And we've seen plenty of quarterbacks who haven't played at premier schools. In fact, a lot of the premier schools don't produce premier quarterbacks. You know, Tua's like the first one in Alabama since Joe Namath. And Kenny Stabler practically has probably somebody else I'm forgetting. But the fact is, it's a bunch of average dudes play quarterback at that spot. Same thing with LSU, Joe Barrow, right? And so they are talking about their ability to translate into the pros that's why i'm saying if byu wants its biggest bang for the buck next week they want zach wilson throwing for 350 yards and five touchdowns because that's going to further enhance how legitimate he is which in turn brings byu a bunch of publicity if zach throws for 150 yards and they run the ball for 300 they don't get and they still win the game they don't get near as much buzz now Kalani will take it. Obviously, he'll take a win any way you can get it. But if you want the biggest buzz, you have Zach go out there and look brilliant because he's the one that's bringing BYU legitimacy because Kuyper's saying he's a top-five quarterback going into the draft. You know, it'll be interesting to see what kind of hype BYU gets on the broadcast during the Boise State game because that game, the Mountain West has a new TV deal this year with CBS and Fox. They're not doing the ESPN thing, so that game's on FS1. That'll Uh be a different crew. There isn't the whole business relationship. They're in bed together, long-term contract. It'll be interesting to see what they say. Now, they're still televising the game, and they want you to watch. Right. But all they have to do is quote Mel Kuyper. You know, just pull up Mel Kuyper's draft list and put it on the screen. Oh, this guy's a top five quarterback, or you know, yeah, depending on what yeah. he's ranking him that week, he re-ranks him. So it could be top three or top two. I don't know what it'll be. But the right, point yeah. is, it'll be interesting to see how hard FS1 sells it, and then of course, as the game goes, how much uh, you know the way Zach plays against what we all think is a quality opponent will determine what they say as they get deep into the game. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to just ignore it, obviously, because. 
the BYU has the contract with ESPN. They want as many eyeballs as they can sell your product. You know, that's one thing you taught me getting into radio years ago is sell what you got. Don't worry about the other guy. Let the other guy do what they do and don't, don't punch at them because you're just going to draw them attention. Just do what you do. And, and here we are 19 years later. So it obviously worked. And you knew me with my feisty attitude. <laughs> you were going to uh, want to bring up every yeah, nasty yeah. blog that somebody read that had 27 right, views. Right, right. And so you, you, you were metaphorically for like five, first five years, kept smacking me in the back of the head. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, you know, eventually I got to the point where I, you know, I'm, I'm stupid, but I do think I can learn from Yeah, but once or twice you had to repeat it back to me. Well, you know, you told me not to do that, so maybe you shouldn't do yeah. it. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did say that, didn't I? So yeah. I think that the Fox broadcasters, if uh, certainly if Wilson is deserving, I think they're going to pump him up because, hey, look at this stud quarterback. And sure, you look at Mac Jones, you look at Trevor Lawrence, you look at Justin Fields. Well, now look at Zach Wilson. He's on our network. You know, that's the one thing uh, I wrote about this, and 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 uh, uh, Yach's going to post it on our website and then over at uh, KSL, is that uh, I quoted Larry Scott was on with the Phoenix station, Ryan Hatch's station, and he was talking about one of the great things about having ASU and SC playing that uh, noon window on November 7th, noon being Eastern, 9 o'clock mm-hmm. uh Pacific. Western, Pacific, and then obviously 10 o'clock our time, is he brought up, you know, they've got their pregame show, and they're trying to build it up like game day, and they've got Urban Meyer and Reggie Bush and Leinart that they're going to be pumping us, speaking of the Pac-12 is what he's talking about, on their pregame show that morning because that's their first game that they're going to show. So you're going to get some run there, and it's the same thing with BYU and going in with this Fox situation, they're going to pump that up because they got Zach Wilson. And I don't know all the games that they broadcast, but he's got to be one of the bigger names that they're going to have on their air. Yeah, yeah, uh, that makes sense. I, I can see where you're going with that. Um, you know, the, the game times came out for the first week of uh, Pac-12 games. And, you know, under, under your theory that if you've got a contender – you need to make sure they're in a time slot where people can see it so that USC-ASU game, USC is the favorite in the South, uh, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, and then Oregon, the favorite in the North, is playing Stanford. Now, maybe Stanford's good, maybe they aren't, but at least at the start, there's you know the storyline is Stanford back. Last year was a bad year, and they had to play three quarterbacks, and they had a lot of injuries, and you know now they've had a lot of transfers, a lot of new guys here. This is a team that won three conference titles. Are they going to push Oregon or not? It got the 5:30 ABC slot, so at least for week one, the Pac-12 got what it needed. You know, the division favorites on in in each division are in a time slot where people are going to see it. The two day, two games that got buried late night are Washington State at Oregon State and Washington at Cal. Uh, the Washington Cal winner, I guess they immediately become the best uh competitor for Oregon, right? Uh in the short term, yeah, we'll see, you know, it could change week to week, but yes, most definitely I think the winner of that game uh and gosh, Lake up there at Washington's talking about using four quarterbacks. I mean, he can't figure out what's going on just yet. So I'm going to be watching that. That's going to be an interesting situation to watch them as they develop with the new regime there. But Cal is more experienced, 
and uh, you know expected to contend. So probably would go with Cal. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, in the immediacy, that would be the legitimate contender. Obviously, if Stanford beats Oregon, well then Stanford is too. So you know, depending on the results of the game. And I saw BYU Utah gets the two o'clock spot against Arizona on ESPNU. That kind of dashed them and yeah. put them off to the side there because yep. Arizona's literally riding a seven-game losing streak entering the season, and, and hopes aren't high for them. But one of the things that, you know, I went back and listened to that Mark Harlan interview that we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it, he acknowledged that the Pac-12 has an opportunity for, uh, which would be our time, 10 a.m., uh, one or two windows left possibly. And my guess is that the Utes get at least one, if not both of them, because you can get uh, a a 10 a.m. start you know not it's not as bad as nine o'clock and they've got three games i think they've got they've got three times set and three times open so they can get a 10 o'clock uh home game uh who's it who did i put it i can look at i wrote it actually you think it'll down. be asu well that's an away game so because uh, the I'm thinking usc was originally going to be a uh, Friday night game, but now it's right. just to be determined. So, And I think that's a possible 10 o'clock Mountain on November 21st and maybe the following week uh, at ASU because we changed the clocks this week and the de- uh, Arizona doesn't participate in uh, Daylight Savings Time. So that 28th of November, 10 o'clock in Tempe, so I could see, which then obviously would mean so either uh, one of SC those games could get two, ASU get two. Basically, they Utah would just put two. the three big games in the South that sound like they ought to decide the South because none of their crossover games are that hard. ASU probably got the toughest crossover game on paper anyway. We'll see when we get there. Didn't Correct. they? Get, didn't they get Cal? They got Cal. They yeah. got Cal. Yeah, it's uh, week so. two. They get Cal. They start off with SC and Cal right off the bat. Uh, Cal, uh, SC over there, and then Cal home. But if ASU and possibly. If ASU beats Utah and beats USC, the crossover game isn't going to matter, assuming they win out against the, the bottom half of the South. Then the crossover won't matter. Well, we're talking playoff. What do you mean it doesn't matter? Playoff? We get on the train. We're on the train. I get it. We're I, on the train. I get on the train. I get it. I get it. <laughs> That's my hermit. <laughs> it's the best line because <laughs> when he wants to disagree with you, he listens to your take, and then he says, I get it. And then he just has a way of minimizing your take. It's like brilliant debating skills. I get it. And I can already like, I can make a good point. It's getting played down. And he's Herm. And Herm has brought, he hasn't brought the victories yet at a high volume, but he certainly brought a high volume of publicity to Tempe. DJ and PK, it's 97. Oh, the other thing I want to say about that TV schedule, they are giving UCLA every chance to be good. And every chance to build hype. You know, it's in L.A. It ought to be good. Even if USC gets the best 25 kids, we all know the, the argument. And obviously, UCLA at this moment would take ASU's mediocre results, right? They would take ASU's, what are they, seven and eight win seasons? Correct. Yeah. UCLA would sign off on those seven and eight win seasons in a heartbeat if they could get them. But they give them Colorado in the opener, and they put it on ESPN 2 at 5 o'clock. It's not, it's not ESPN. It'll be lower rated. It's, uh, the highest rated game will be on ABC. The next highest rated game will be on ESPN. The next one will be on ESPNU, or ESPN2, and then ESPNU. It's, you can just slot them. Uh, but 5 o'clock is a pretty good time slot, and they gave them an opponent they can beat. So 
Well, it might be false confidence, but the Bruins should come out of that 1-0 with some confidence. Yeah, I agree. Carl Durrell against his alma mater. You know, they got some storylines to build into it. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, uh, Arizona, the seven-game losing streak. How good are the Wildcats? We're going to talk with a beat writer. Michael Lev covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. He joins us next to give us the lowdown on the Utes' first opponent. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Some of the stories on uh, Twitter this morning. PK, Ryan Abraham, who uh, covers USC, his website, uh, uscfootball.com, he just crushes it with his coverage of the Trojans. We have him on the show periodically. Uh, he retweeted this. It's you know We talk a lot about the sociology majors in sports. Uh, it's find an easier major you can get through while you're playing sports uh, more than full-time. But he's got this quote. I'm a human biology major on the pre-med track. I've always loved medicine, and I always wanted to be a part of it. That's USC tight end Eric Cromanhook. I don't know how much Eric's going to play or how many touchdowns he's going to score, but if we see him running around, that's a quote to file away in the uh, in the back of your mind. Yeah, and what's awesome is that he didn't have the academics to get into issue. Ah, nice. Well played, PK. <laughs> Not true, but well played. <laughs> DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Michael Lev joins us now, Arizona Wildcats beat writer for the Arizona Daily Star. Michael, good morning. Hey, good morning, fellas. How are you? Good. We wanted to have you on to kind of get the uh, the lowdown on the Wildcats as the season opener approaches. You know, the TV network spent a lot of money on this stuff, and so they actually have people who dig in the offseason to make sure they're not missing any storylines, and they know who's good and who's bad, so they can put the best teams and the best games on and make the most money. When I saw they put Utah and Arizona on ESPNU, my first thought was, well, they can't put it on the Pac-12 network this year. So they're putting it on ESPNU. Somebody thinks Arizona isn't very good. You're there every day. Do you think Arizona can be any good coming off the losing streak? A lot of people don't think Arizona is very good. <laughs> um, I, I've seen many predictions um, where you know the Wildcats are picked to go winless this season, which obviously would be problematic when you are coming off uh, consecutive losing seasons and riding a seven-game losing streak. Um, and they've got some problems. There's no doubt. Um, as I'm sure you and your um, listeners know, they lost several players on defense during the off season, you know, mostly kind of pandemic related. Uh, the, the headliners are, you know, they're, they're two longtime starting linebackers, Colin Schooler and Tony Fields. They both transferred uh, during the summer. Um, Colin's transfer was a direct, result of the Pac-12, you know, procrastinating, basically, for, for lack of a better word. Um, when the league announced that it wasn't going to play, you know, he and his brother wanted to play really badly, so they transferred to Big 12 schools to guarantee themselves that opportunity. So some big holes on defense at linebacker. Also, safety is a potential problem area um, for the Cats. I think the good news is, if you're an Arizona fan, the offense is very promising, um, with sophomore quarterback Grant Gannell taking over the job full-time. Um, and I think for Arizona to win any games this year, the offense is going to have to carry them. Um, they're going to have to win um, some shootouts. Uh, haven't been able to get really anything going in the last couple matchups against Utah. Um, but I think for them to have a chance in that game and in other games, the offense is going to have to kind of control the pace, control the tempo. They're going to have to play from ahead 
to relieve stress uh, on what is an undermanned defense. So I don't know that I've ever seen somebody fall from grace as far as I saw Khalil Tate from when he was a sophomore, I think, under Rich Rod to these last couple years under Sumlin and Mazzoni. Now, it was just the like square peg, round hole type thing. I think that that's gone now, and they know what to do with Grant at quarterback, and he showed to me enough promise that he could be a very good quarterback there, and it seems like they're settled, so there's no confusion on what to do with him, and then they can actually have an offense where it looks like they know what they're doing. Is that a fair assessment? I think it's a tremendous assessment. Um, They struggled to establish a true identity last two seasons. Um, As you mentioned, it was never a great fit between Noel Mazzoni and Khalil Tate. They could never totally get um, on the same page. And then last year, you know, things devolved even further to the point that, you know, they were platooning the two quarterbacks, um, which, you know, has its advantages in that it forces the defense to prepare for two different styles. But, I, you know, very rare, very rarely do you find a two-quarterback system working uh, effectively nowadays um, the two players are totally different. I mean, Khalil Tate is a dual threat um, type of guy who's going to take a lot of shots down the field, um, rely on his athleticism, whereas Grant Gannell is a little more surgical, more of a traditional point guard style of quarterback who's just going to try to get the ball out of his hands and into the hands um, of his playmakers. And I do think it will be um, more advantageous than not for Arizona to have just the one quarterback this year, they can really um, focus in on one system, one style of play. Um, he can establish timing and rhythm uh, with his wide receivers. Obviously, there were uh, disruptions during the off season, but you know Grant Gannell used that time to his advantage the best he could. He's bigger and stronger uh, than he was a year ago. I mean, he's six foot six and over two hundred thirty pounds. He worked with uh, Tom House, the uh, renowned quarterback guru, to improve his mechanics and arm strength, Um, and that's been noticeable according to several uh, receivers on the team, and that was kind of considered to be uh, his biggest weakness uh, coming off of that, you know, pretty impressive freshman year. The one, you know, caveat I would throw out there is that defenses do know what's coming now. Um, they don't have to prepare for two different styles. Uh, they, there's no more uncertainty on their part as to who's going to play and when, um, and they have a year's worth of film on Grant. So um, those are the challenges that he faces, but I think for the most part um, that it's going to be a positive for Arizona to have that quarterback situation settled now. Michael Lev joining us. He covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. The Utes open the season against the Wildcats on November 7th. Uh, the Utes have won four in a row in this rivalry. Uh, before that, Arizona won four in a row with guys like Kadeem Carey and Nick Wilson cranking out 200-yard games, just running all over the Utes. Uh, the Utes' defense has gotten better, and the scheme obviously has changed offensively for Arizona. But do they have anything in the running game where they could, to what you referenced earlier, you know, run the ball, control it, control the tempo of the game? Do they have a line and backs who can, who can provide that the way they did when they were beating the Utes? Well, they most definitely have the backs to do it. Um, running back is, I think, easily the 
deepest, most talented group on the team. I know they don't have uh, J.J. Taylor anymore, but they returned Gary Brightwell, um, who rushed for, I want to say, 915 yards over the last two seasons, averaging more than five yards a carry. Um, and He's a pro prospect, given his size and speed uh, and ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Sophomore Michael Wiley um, has packed on about 13 pounds of muscle. Um, he's over 200 pounds now and showed, again, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield last year. Um, they feel like they have five guys at that position um, that they like, including a couple of uh, impress, uh, freshmen who have impressed early. I do have some questions about the offensive line. Um, Donovan Lai, uh the junior who briefly uh, flirted with transferring uh, a couple of weeks ago, is back at left guard. They really like him a lot. He's another guy who might end up playing on Sunday someday. Um, they love Jordan Morgan, who's a, a sophomore left tackle, who's extremely athletic and someone that USC was per- pursuing uh, toward the end of his recruitment. Uh, they do have a potential injury concern, though, at center. Uh, Josh McCauley, uh, as reliable as any you know, pivot man uh, in the Pac-12, hurt his knee early in camp, um, hasn't been back since then, and his status for the opener is a question. Um, and that's a big concern going against, you know, a physical uh, Utah front. I know that the crowd noise factor won't be there without the actual crowd being there um, in Salt Lake City. But you're still, as the center, in a position where you've got to make a lot of decisions uh, at the line of scrimmage, directing the offensive line, identifying uh, where the pass rush is coming from. Uh, so the potential absence of Josh McCauley could hurt the offensive line, and it could hurt – um, Arizona's ability to establish the run, which, as you mentioned, uh, was a vehicle for them to stay in and even upset Utah uh, in some recent matchups. So Marcel Yates and his defensive staff largely are gone. They bring in some new guys. Uh, you already mentioned Schooners off to Texas Tech, Schooler, and then Fields to West Virginia. So I look at the defense. I see uh, Jalen Harris at linebacker. He looks to me like he's a nice player. I think that uh, they moved him, though. He's going to be an outside linebacker this year. But other than that, man, I don't know that I got anybody that I could look at and depend on. And if someone is under heat in his third year to get it going, uh, what are they looking at defensively as far as anybody? Do they just go with young guys? Do they have some guys outside of De- uh, Harris that they can count on? Well, I would say that um, there's a handful of standouts and veterans that they're going to lean on pretty heavily uh, on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned Jalen Harris, who has all the potential in the world to be a top-level pass rusher, and it's just kind of a matter of him uh, fulfilling that potential this year. I mean, he's legit 6'5", 260 um, at this point, and is, of course, the son of Sean Harris, who played for Arizona back in the day and then had a productive career with the Chicago Bears in the NFL. Um, Anthony Pandy uh, was Colin Schooler and Tony Fields' classmate. The original idea was to have Pandy play um, at one of the outside linebacker spots with Fields and Schooler uh, on the inside. The three of them played together a lot last year. Um, with Fields and Schooler gone, Pandy has had to move to middle linebacker. He also uh, has played inside linebacker in the past. The, the issue at linebacker is depth. 
Um, they brought in a couple grad transfers, uh, a defensive tackle that they like a lot, Aaron Blackwell uh, from New Mexico and Roy Lopez from New Mexico State. Those guys are going to play a prominent role. Um, it's always nice to have veterans who've kind of been through the wars, and they're going to really lean on that defensive line a lot to hold up blockers and free things up for the linebackers. And then uh, on the outside, I mean, they've got two cornerbacks um, who have, you know, I would say the potential at least to make some all-pack 12 lists. Um, Lorenzo Burns has been around uh, for a while and has been one of the leading interceptors um, in the conference, a guy who could have gone into the NFL draft uh, this last year or even while things were kind of up in the air in the Pac-12, but decided to return instead. And then Christian Roland Wallace, um, who had a really nice freshman year last year, some inconsistencies, as, as you'd expect from a true freshman, but physically... Um, has all the attributes that you'd look for. Um, so they have a few pieces on defense for new defensive coordinator um, Paul Rhodes to build around. Uh, they do not have much in the way of depth, and I think they're really going to be vulnerable in the middle of the field. And if I were Utah, you know, I would probably try to establish the run early and then try to take advantage of that middle of the field area with some play action passes. Michael Lev joining us, Arizona Wildcats beat writer for the Arizona Daily Star. So you mentioned earlier that uh, there are people who are worried Arizona is going to have a winless season. Are there, They're not looking at the Utah game as one they're picking off. Are they thinking uh, Colorado, UCLA, just one day you'll force or be gifted four or five turnovers and win a game? What? How does this season map out for them? Yeah, I mean, when you just look at the schedule on paper – uh, really tough beginning to the slate. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Utah has had the better of this matchup several years in a row. The last two seasons weren't even competitive. Games on the road. Then you got USC coming here. Um, that's who I picked to win uh, the Pac-12 South this year, and I've had them pretty consistently in my AP Top 25 as well. And then they have to go to Washington after that. On paper, I mean, that's an 0-3 start. And if you start 0-3 and you're coming off of a seven-game losing streak and you don't have a normal season, you wonder, you know, what is the level of investment going to be? What is the level of motivation going to be? Um, I actually think out of those first three games that Utah might be the one um, that's most vulnerable just because it's the first game of the season. Um, new quarterback, new running back, largely new defense. Um, you never know what you're going to get in a first game, and we've seen a lot of upsets across college football. Um, if you look at the back half of the schedule, UCLA is a team that Arizona defeated last year with Grant Gannell, um making his first career start as a freshman who had very little experience um, at that time. Uh, Colorado here, uh, a team that Arizona has gotten the better of. And then, you know, you finish up the, the six-game portion of the schedule uh, with Arizona State, your rival. Um, they should have beaten Arizona State two years ago and probably should have beaten them three years ago. You never know what you're going to get in a rivalry game. Uh, on paper, you can see a path to 2-4 and four or 3-3. Three and three. My question is, if you start 0-3, like what kind of impact does that have on the program psychologically? You know, Are you still focused and, and invested in things enough where you can turn things around? So if they do go 0-3, who's shown the door first, Sumlin or Sean Miller? <laughs> oh, man, that's a great question. Um, it's, 
the the question of you know Kevin Sumlin's future, his status here, it's it's really murky. It's it's really difficult to kind of decipher. Um, in part because you know, money's tight, as you guys know it, like programs across the country. You know, the revenue streams aren't what they were, and they're not going to be what they were for a long time. So can you afford to pay someone to not work for you? And can you afford to pay that person a significant chunk of money? You know, if they were to fire a Kevin Sumlin before mid-January, he'd be owed $7.5 million dollars in a buyout. Now, relatively speaking, across the landscape of college football, maybe that's not that much, but when you're in the position that Arizona's in right now and a lot of uh, schools are suffering financially, that, that's a lot of money. Um, on the other hand, how long of a losing streak can you tolerate? You know, that seven-game skid to end the season, I mean, that's a real thing. And with each loss at the beginning of the year, it just grows and grows. And you, you want the fan base to be engaged and enthused for whenever they get to come back here. And there's not going to be a lot of enthusiasm for a Kevin Sumlin-led regime if they're riding a 10, 11, 12-game losing streak. Or 14. Or 14, <laughs> right. <laughs> if they, were to, if they were to match that 0-7 with another 0-7. Well, Michael, we appreciate a little time you mapping it out. I think the Ute fans, they don't want to count the chickens before they hatch, but they're counting this as a W. But, hey, it's a season opener and it's a conference game, so you never really know. Thanks for coming on and painting a little bit of a picture for us, though. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. Michael Lev, Arizona Wildcats beat writer for the Arizona Daily Star. Could the Cats go winless? Can the Utes beat them for a fifth straight year? Yes, uh, yes. yes and yes. Winless, PK, that I is. I probably wouldn't go winless. They'll take down Colorado or UCLA well, I, or a crossover game at the end of the year against somebody else. When's the last else? time a, a conference team has gone oh, when they, you know, obviously Sure, but seven. it's but it's uh, it's a shorter season. So the whole unbeaten winless thing, I think uh, but it goes back. It's in play. Goes back to PK's point last year. The whole Oregon Arizona State deal. They're coming on two different tracks, and all of a sudden the Sun yeah. Devils just spring one. So I, I mean, Gunnell's a quarterback. He's he's legit. I I, lo- I really liked what I saw from him last year. But if their and defense the, is bad again, then it comes down to at some point can they win can. a forty-two to thirty-eight yeah, game? Yeah, yes, I think they can. They, can, they, they I think they can. I think there's several on that uh, slate that they can. And Kyle Winningham has to be... I don't think Utah's one of them, but go ahead. Uh, Kyle Winningham has to be thinking, well, while you Yahoo's over there counting the chickens before they hatch, I'm breaking in a new defensive backfield against a guy who's got quarterback skills. He's not some bumpkin back there that doesn't know what he's doing. No. He's a good QB, and so when you say, could it be a 42-38 game, Kyle Winningham is gritting his teeth saying it better not be. <laughs> well, he'll take it as long as he's got the As long as he's got the 42, yeah, he'll take it, right? Learn lessons and a victory. Yeah, especially with this season being somewhat of a reloading season for the Utes. You, any victory is – really, any victory, any time is a good one. I mean, this idea of – I guess maybe, you know, if you're BYU a couple of years ago and you're playing Portland State and that was a harbinger of things to come and you only won three other games the rest of the year, we should look back and see that. But – I'm not expecting that much of a drop-off, that significant of a drop-off for the Utes. But it's sort of funny that Arizona it actually started well last year and then closed on a seven-game losing streak. My gosh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, 
to know you have seven games. There's there's a certain amount of symmetry there, is there not? You have a seven-game losing streak, and you're going to play seven games this year. Yes. So let's – I see no reason just to say you did it, extend that puppy to 14 in a row. <laughs> says the ASU fan. Uh, they did start 4-1, and one, and they did win two conference games. And yeah, they beat UCLA, yeah. and they're going to play – and they beat Colorado, and obviously they're going to play both those teams again. Um, so, you know, who's to – Who's to say they can't pull off a couple division wins? And honestly, if you offered them two and four right now, would they take it? Two and four going into whatever game seven is and whatever it looks uh, like? Yeah, I think probably, yeah, because defensively they haven't been good for years. And it was so fun to see Rich Rod just have these aneurysms on the sideline. It's like his body was going to burst. I mean, you wouldn't, it was just, he was so entertaining with those faces and whatnot. And I don't know the defense is any better this year. And then they have two of their best players leave to go play elsewhere. And that's sort of on the Pac-12. I don't think that that's on Arizona. Right. Because when those guys left. They weren't there playing. Was no, there, yeah. yeah. And they went and played right there in the Big 12 and, and got in games. They got in games before the Pac-12 announced they were going to come back. If I've got my timing right, and I think I do. Uh, so can't really put that on someone's guys. But nevertheless, man, you got to show some kind of progress. You know, when you're coming off a seven-game losing streak, you obviously couldn't have closed the season any worse. And you're 0-2 against the Devils, this new uh, regime. And then one last year, you know, you'd already lost six in a row, so you get it, and it was in Tempe. But the year before, you got a huge lead in the fourth quarter, and you just trip over yourselves. I mean, I think they had a 19-point lead entering the fourth quarter. And you talk about a choke. It was just awesome to watch. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time for your feedback. Everything you're saying about today's show. Uh, Question of the day. Why does BYU's success get under the skin of some folks? And Vegas Ute says, uh, you fans are in wait mode. BYU fans seem to care more about the hype and exposure than reality, and there is the fuel. Number one, BYU fans are enjoying teasing their Ute fans, friends, and enemies. And that's one spark to this little fire. Number two, the local media, look in the mirror, are stirring the pot. More sparks. Believe me, I have mirrors all over my house. Oh, and I look disgusting. at myself frequently. <laughs> Yach's like, no, no, danger, <laughs> wave it off. You just said look in the mirror. You just told me. Yeah, it's all over your house thing that starts to make him nervous. Uh, <laughs> Vegas Ute adds, every time a Ute fan says pump the brakes, they get accused of being A, petty, B, obsessed, and C, jealous of BYU getting in the spotlight. After nine straight losses, this is the closest thing Y fans have to a win. And the more they irritate Ute fans, the more fun... BYU fan is having. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> well said. The problem is that if and when BYU season crashes, you fans are going to be ruthless. Then we'll have BYU fans crying all over the interwebs and you asking why some folks are so mean, right? <laughs> I don't know. Let me check my schedule for uh, Wednesday, November 10th. 
Well, yes, we have something available. Step right if, into the waiting room. If BYU season crashes, is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Which so is just already, one loss at this point. So we're loss. projecting in the 2021 season already. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> You've got BYU at uh, what is that? Thirteen and zero. They pick up a win when they add the USC game. And then that gets them into the playoff, and they win twice. They beat Clemson first and Bama in the final. No, 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 no. It won't be the what it'll be. It'll be the best of USC players combined with the best of Oregon players. That's who they play. <laughs> That'll be – what would that team be called? The Trucks? <laughs> the Dogens? <laughs> <laughs> true, yeah. true story. I don't know if you know, well, you know your uh, World War II NFL history, but Pittsburgh and Philadelphia <laughs> merged one year, and they called during World War II because there weren't enough players, because obviously everyone was off fighting the war, and they and the Steelers and the Eagles merged, and it was called the Steagles. The the Pennsylvania connection, huh? The Steagles <laughs> only lasted one season, but yeah. So there's a little history there that says it could happen. Not much <laughs> from a long time ago, but it's something. Yeah. All right. We're out of time. Scouting hands are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.